Beginning the Trek, a 52-episode introduction to Star Trek. This is our last episode of Next Generation on the Trek. This is. This is. I mean, we're going to be wrapping up TNG, but this is it. Unification is. Oh, God. This is so mean because I was like so ready to just start talking Deep Space Nine right now. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Beginning the Trek. Hello. Well, welcome, welcome. We suggest you don't start with this episode. We definitely think you should start with the first episode. Right. If this is your first time on Beginning the Trek, uh, start with episode one and and begin your journey there. It's, uh, it's designed to be taken in order. But if you are joining us for your, I don't know, 28th time, because this is episode... No, this tw- is episode 27. 28 is Emissary. See what happens? I was all ramped up to start talking DS9, but we got to record this introduction for uh, Unification, which I am now totally on board with. So, yeah, hi. Awesome. (laughs) Are there any spoilers aside from the fact that this is our last one that we're going to be watching for the next generation? Well, all the spoilers we kind of talked about in the last episode, uh, when I I brought up Unification, that we're going to be seeing Klingons and Romulans and Ferengi and Sela And Spock. And Spock was, of course, the big one, and Sarek, and and all of that, of course, happens. So, um, way too many episodes for you to have to go back and look. But if you have been doing this track, then you've been following along, and you know all these, all these folks and all these situations. So you're ready to go with unification. You're ready to go. Introduce us to this story. It was a two-parter. So do you get like an extra double long one? I do. I get 20 sentences, as is our agreement for (laughs) two-parters. Do it. Admiral Brackett is aboard to inform Picard of a very sensitive mission, tracking down a potential defector to the Romulans, shown here in this very blurry image. Let's bring this mystery man into focus. He's a highly decorated Starfleet officer, a longtime Federation ambassador, and oh, does he know how to use those sensors? Ladies and gentle beings, put your hands, paws, or tentacles together for an original series favorite, Mr. Spock! <sighs> nice. Picard's first stop, Vulcan, to visit an old and dying Sarek in the hopes that he could help. And he does by telling Picard of a Senator Pardak that Spock had met years ago and also expressing a wave of emotional regrets in connection with his now lost son. Next stop, Klingons for a little favor from Galran, a cloaked ship because if we're headed to Romulus, we probably should do it in one of those. And in true Star Trek fashion, Picard and Data are altered to look like Romulans and then board a Klingon ship commanded by that guy from office space, and then they head to Romulus to search for Spock. Something from before about a blown-up Ferengi vessel and a Vulcan deflector array, and anyway, Riker's going to take the ship to this junkyard to investigate all that stuff. Mr. Dekachin, the Zakdorn administrator of the surplus depot Z-15, cold shoulders Riker, but digs Deanna, so he helps us out, and we discover Grand Theft Starship happened right under this bizarre man's bizarre little nose. We are informed of Sarek's death, making this trip all the more difficult for Picard, and then he and Data begin their search for Pardak and, hopefully, Spock. Riker sets a trap, finds the thieving ship, and while trying to disable it, it sort of blows up because it was full of stolen weapons, so oops. Picard and Data enjoy a meal, but then are detained and brought into a cave where we finally, in sentence 10, find Spock (laughs) to be continued. 
streaming. So come on, Spock, give it up. What are you doing here? Why are you so secretive about it? And this isn't like you at all. And lots and lots of other questions from Picard. Okay, we know you're Patrick Stewart and all, but this is Spock, played by the incomparable Leonard Nimoy, Star Trek royalty since before Picard was born, who then plays the undiscovered country card. So we're going to do the whole Vulcan Romulan reunification idea of his. Okay? Okay. (laughs) Sorry, that one got me. (laughs) That's okay. Yeah. While Data attempts to hack the Romulan internet, Picard meets Geron, a young Romulan with hopes of the future, lending credence to the idea that reunification is possible and a really good idea. Following a lead, Riker interviews a four-armed piano player at a bar on Quaylor 2, who gives him a hand by pointing to a weapons dealer, a fat Ferengi, and then comedy ensues during his interrogation. Working together, Spock and Data share their hopes and dreams before finally hacking into the database, only to discover that Pardak has been playing Spock all along. Now things are really ramping up, starting with Picard, Data, and Spock being captured by the authorities, led by Sela, daughter of once, twice, and thrice dead Tasha Yar. Riker receives a fake message, but knows it's a fake. Spock is threatened by Sela, but he refuses to cooperate. A VR Spock with no interactive capabilities will tell the Federation to let this simple Vulcan ship pass from Romulan space and head toward Vulcan unimpeded, even though it's really full of Romulan soldiers ready to, I guess, occupy Vulcan. Okay, stop! What's going on here? This started out as a simple mystery and fan service by bringing back a beloved character. Now in the last 20 minutes, you're going to throw in all this extra stuff. And uh, if that was the plan, I mean, come on. OMG. If that was just a Vulcan nerve pinch that Data did to Sela, followed by Spock complimenting him with a not bad, then all is forgiven because that was awesome. The invasion is thwarted. The good guys triumph and return home, but first Spock choosing to stay behind and continue his work for reunification shares a mind meld with Picard, allowing him to receive thoughts and feelings that his father's Vulcan pride kept him from expressing these many years. The end. That was very excitable. Was I a little too uh, zany with this one? I'm going to have to up my synopsis game here. (laughs) I, you know, and we talk about this and we will talk about this, but the story of this is not the highlight. The highlight of this is the characters and the story gets... Like you said, it goes a little bit off the rails at the beginning. By the end, you could kind of hear, it's like, I didn't know what to do with all that stuff. So sure, I could throw it into one or two sentences. Sure, sure. We'll we'll call them sentences. <laughs> just a lot of, just a lot of commas. Uh, sure. So let's talk about unification. Let's talk episode. Why don't you give your, your rating and tell us what you thought? Okay. It is getting three out of five Romulan shoulder pads. And they're, there's not many, but they're awfully large. They are huge. So, yeah, it's only three out of five, but three mm-hmm. out of five really big things. Right. Maybe the biggest object <laughs> that you've ever done. Well, I did the board cube, I'm pretty sure. No, I didn't do the cube. I did the, the face mask. Yeah, you did the Picard face mask. And I think the shoulder pads are way bigger than that. <laughs> they really are. They're huge. The Romulans <laughs> have always had kind of these awkward uniforms. I even the we 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 watched Face of the Enemy, the 
holster where they put the disruptor is like so big and clunky. It looks like that damn thing probably just falls out all the time. The entire design of the thing has it. Do, do you remember when uh, we talked, this was way back in the original series and I said something like it finally hit me that all of this stuff that looks old because it's like 80s looking with all of the sharp angles was actually like way ahead of its time because it was in the 60s. I do remember and that. It was, yes. Yeah. This has kind of that same thing only now we're in the 90s so it looks... Like just that geometric. This is sci-fi of the '90s look. I'm I'm happy they didn't have neon. That's all. I thought like, it was kind of cool to show a a society that could have very easily been like 1990s Earth in some places. You know, I mean, it wasn't. You know, and and not even like a big place, just a small town. It was like like kind of in the burbs, um, you know, street foods and, and people walking. Lots of people walking around. Yeah. Yeah. Very busy, busy streets. No vehicles. I noticed no vehicles of any kind. Right. No media at all. This always astounds me that Star Trek specifically doesn't do well with how media interacts with human lives. Like, the only time they interact with the computer is to very specifically say, computer, search this thing for me. Computer, tell me about the Klingon laws. But there's never, like, entertainment. There's never, there's no spam in Star Trek. Well, sure. Let's start with the end, then. Because oh, okay. <laughs> the resolution, which I thought was a little bit on the clunkier side, mm -hmm. the virtual Spock. Oh, okay, sure. The the virtual Riker and guards and virtual wall and all that mm -hmm. stuff, which back then, again, there was no one had ever heard of really making virtual people yet, or it was, it was still really because we have the holodeck. No, I, I guess you're right. We did have the holodeck, which, but you're right. It's completely underused. You know, this all needs to go into talking track. Well, it, except that we are kind of talking. I don't know. We'll figure it out. We should, we should, no, we should seriously save this and let's talk about, because I want to talk stuff about the story and the characters. Let's get to it. But then, we should totally put a pin in this. Put a pin. And come back to it in Talking Drag. Big pin. All right. So, uh, so what do you want to start? Where do you want to start with the story? Um, I broke this down into part one and part two. Um, okay. Part one is what happened to Spock? Yes. You know, like the mystery. Did he defect? What's going What's on? What's he up to? Sure. Where did he go? How do we find him? So it's the search for Spock again. Sure. Now we're searching for him on Romulus. And then part two is, will Spock be successful in what he's up to? And, and the answer shows... is a big fat no, but kind of maybe sort of not really. Yeah, it's 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 kind of a bummer how it how it turned out. But uh, so do you want to let's so let's talk about what happened and okay. Where so he went. part part one, uh, this reminds me of a thing somebody told me. This is forever ago in like junior high. You know, you're taking woodworking and um, or I had to. I don't know. Maybe they don't do that anymore. Did it by choice. It working with your hands. Everybody should do a craft. I. 100% believe this, but it's when you start off doing it and you're trying to make a square, let's pretend this one is like huge. It's like a room size, right? And you put two together and you're just like a 16th of an inch off. Yes. And it doesn't matter. And so you're like, well, that's okay. And then you get all the way to the end and you're like, oh, this isn't a square at all because this 16th of an inch turned into two feet. Like two yeah. feet. Right. I feel like that's what happened with this story. They started off with Spock. And they never corrected that 16th of an inch of, I don't believe he's defecting to Romulus ever. 
Never once has anybody, because it's not character driven. He didn't, he would never do that. Does anybody believe he would do that? Well, uh, the, the the piece that, that I keep coming back to was the guilt that he felt over what happened during Undiscovered Country. Putting Kirk in a situation that got him thrown in prison and the guilt behind that. Because when he says, I alone was responsible for what happened as a result of, you know, my, my peace, the peace initiative with the Klingons. And he was talking about Undiscovered Country. He was talking about, about Kirk being almost basically imprisoned until they basically killed him. And he didn't want to be responsible for anyone else. Now, while I get that that was his reason for going off on his own, Mm-hmm. Ah, it doesn't seem to have the right amount of integrity to just do it without saying it to anyone. He's going to need help. He's going to need to convince somebody in the Federation that that he's still with them. Yeah. Yeah. Why not let him know? I'm going to Romulus because of this and I'm going alone and that's the way it's going to be and see ya. And he could have just done There's that. no way that Spock. But he didn't say anything. And that was the weird thing. That was the weird thing about this entire story is a lot of the story was story and not characters. And this is what I, I love about maybe it's modern storytelling or maybe it's been happening all along and just a very few, because Joss Whedon does this and uh, Orson Scott Card does this amongst many, many others, but they're the ones who do that. I know particularly for myself who do sci-fi who they'll let the story be almost completely determined by the characters And if you know the characters well enough, you can have that. And then you don't need these kind of plot things. You don't have to say, Spock has disappeared and he went to Romulus. Whatever could have happened. You can start with, why would Spock make this choice? Mm -hmm. Oh, well, it probably was he had a secret meeting, so it's undercover. But what we don't know is all of this stuff. And they never address that. Mm -hmm. They did the same thing with Sila, I think that she could have very easily have been justified and she wasn't. She was just kind of a bad, bad guy. Just sat there monologuing. And they did it with Picard, too. I didn't believe Picard in a lot of these things. I felt like he's been very hopeful and he'll mm-hmm. always default. I mean, just a while ago, we did The uh, the Wounded and he defa- he knew he knew what was going on, but he defaulted to trust anyway because how else are you going to keep the peace? Mm-hmm. Even when you have the upper hand, even when you know something else is going wrong, Picard will default to peace and trust. Yes. But he wasn't like that. So it was just kind of an odd, and I think that's what the two shoulder pads were taken off for, for me. It just didn't ring true. It was good. It just wasn't true. So so I don't necessarily disagree with you. I think that there, th- this was fan service in a lot of ways. Um, let's give a Spock, and it's a great build-up to him. I like the mystery of did he defect? What's going on there? What's he up to? I do like that. And I don't like that they didn't resolve it any more than you do. However, I will point out a couple of pieces, a couple of components that I think make it a little bit more believable for me. Okay. One being, and, and you didn't see this, in the episode that we talked about last week, Sarek, when um, Picard and, and Sarek share a mind meld, they really connect in a lot of ways. So Sarek's opinions are now embedded in Picard. And I can picture Picard being... Very skeptical, very disapproving 
because of those influences. I'm not saying that it's, it necessarily justifies it, but I can picture that that might've been influencing him in a way that would have him be less trusting of Spock than he might be of random guy that I don't have any association with. And I'm going to throw back to even earlier and say Spock was throwing around mind melds all the time in the original series. So to me in my head, it's not like, Oh, I've become, I have taken on the personality of another. It's like, I read your mind. Yeah, no, this was a, and again, you didn't go, get a chance to see Sarek. This was a very, this, this, this mind meld lasts like 20 minutes. Oh, wow. It actually, in the, okay. I, mean, I mean, we see a lot of stuff happening in, in Picard's emotions mm-hmm. and, you know, which are really Sarek's emotions being shown through Picard. So there's Patrick Stewart once again, just being an emotional wreck with somebody else's emotions being channeled through him. Wow. His brain gets taken over so much. Yeah. That poor man. It's such a, and and then he just willingly does it at the very, yeah. So it was crazy. But the point was, it was a very powerful connection. They shared a, a much deeper connection just than just a, I need to know that thing that you have, or I need to help you find your memory. Right. It was a real deep connection. That said, I do also agree People didn't necessarily act like they didn't make story choices. I thought they made some fun character choices. I loved, I loved Spock and Data having their conversation about humanity. Yes, that was really great and fascinating. I yeah. loved that. That was such a great moment of of each of them coming to a realization that the other wants something that you know that kind of exists over there and that it's kind of almost an ideal that neither of them are going to get. It was really cool. Uh, And fun to watch Spock after he's like, he says, you know, some of this stuff I found, it actually makes me stronger. And he'll even come back on his dad and be like, my dad was wrong. Cause this side of me, this hopeful human side of me that just won't give up is powerful and useful. And data's looking for that. And I don't know, like, does he already have it or is he never going to get it? Is faking it enough? Ah, it's all. Are we all just faking it? Does it actually exist or is it just a program thing that we're so used to that I don't even know? I mean, the whole search for... Okay, you've got your robot conspiracy theories, but aside from that... Well, no, it's the the whole search for humanity. I think the most human thing about Data is that he wants to be human. Why does a robot want to be human? That makes no sense. And that's... Spock's point. He's just like, you're perfect. Mm-hmm. Humans try to be you. Right. Well, and he... Or Vulcans try to be you, And at Vulcans least. try to be him. The whole the whole Kulinar thing, which happens in Star Trek The Motion Picture, where he's, like, purging himself of all emotions. He's shooting for that. So... Mm-hmm. That was the kind of character moment I enjoyed. There were great character moments. They didn't have much to do with the story. It was like... Right. Sometimes they would make a decision based on... We need to move the story along. We need to get to the end. Yeah. This was full of that, I thought, from everything I saw. And I will say that, especially when you get to part two, the B-plot of Riker and Troy and the junkyard and the opera singing, and they have little moments, but it reads like a D&D script. 
like somebody game mastered and they were like, okay, we're going to go out in space and we're going to find a junkyard. And then uh, Troy's going to roll for charm against the junkyard <laughs> owner. And then they're going to get information. And so they're going to go to a bar where they chat up the piano player and Riker's going to roll for fl- flirtation. And you can't roll for flirtation once you wait for the Ferengi. So, and we can't offer a bribe. He doesn't have that ability. So then we're going to be like uh, intimidation and it just, it had that entire feel of plotted out moments. And the moments were cute. And some of them were really fun. I enjoyed the moment with the piano player. And Worf was really awkward with the whole opera thing. Oh, the, the, um, the opera? Yeah. I, but, I, I so know it was how much fun, you love wasn't... singing in Star Trek. Why? So a little bit of Klingon opera. That's a ho-ta, whatever he says. Oh, go for it, man. Ho-ta. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's all you get of that from me. <laughs> mm, I wouldn't even know where to start. But so that there's there's a lot of things in here. Like it was enjoyable, but it wasn't mm. real. Here's uh, while you were talking about it. Here's the thought that just sort of popped into my mind: was genuine and authentic character moments surfing on top of an inauthentic story. Yes. Yeah. And, and, I'll accept and that. I didn't really notice that until this watch through because I've always just sort of enjoyed the Spock of it all. Sure. But this time I was really scrutinizing and saying, what's the characters, how are the characters doing and what's the story about? And and the story goes in a lot of just strange places. I, it, the resolution itself seems a little weird. What, how could you believe that Spock the peace ambassador isn't going to be on the peace ship coming from Romulan to Vulcan, but he'll make his phone call from Romulus. Like, like the whole Romulan plan didn't make any sense. And they thought that we're going to buy the Federation's just going to let this ship fly out of Romulus Romulan space and head to Vulcan. But Spock told them to. Yeah. But Spock's a potential defector. (laughs) As far as the Federation is concerned, because he didn't tell anyone he was leaving. Bad plan. Bad plan. Well, no, I think the really, really, really bad plan in this was when Sela, 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 when Sela starts monologuing, bad plan. (laughs) And I wish they had given at least some motivation for her being so silly. Uh, By the way, I wish just forever, I would have loved to have seen Tasha Yar more. She, this was so great. Like acting wise, this was so good. But yeah, really great character moments surfing along a really bad plot. Understood. Yeah. Jessica? Hmm. I grant your wish. <gasps> Is Sela show up in. Uh, no, you didn't say Deep you Space wanted Nine? more Sela. Oh, we get Tasha Yar. You said you wanted Tasha Yar. Really? Yeah. Oh my goodness. I'm going to give you some more Spock too. That's wonderful. How about some more Kirk and a little more Picard? Even after this, the last episode in our our next generation run, our last episode, and yet I still promise you more Picard. I promise you more of the entire crew of the Enterprise D, and I promise you more of the entire crew of the Enterprise, the original. How about that? Dude, that just sounds like people who can't let go. <laughs> Well, I'm glad of it. Except though. you're gonna love both. You're gonna love both these that are coming. Cool. So, but before we wrap up this, I did have one thing because 
if there was one theme that I really, really enjoyed in this story, it was Spock. And it went back to something I mentioned in Undiscovered Country as well, because we watched that as a bonus. Mm -hmm. Spock's hope and his working so hard for peace, even when logically it's not going to happen. But the truth is, he goes grassroots. He goes all the way back to, I'll stay. I'll stay. He talks to the children. Yeah. And that's the, that's when you think about it, either, either you do Sila's plan, which is Trojan horse take over. And eventually, I don't know how many generation it takes for that kind of hate to stop, but you better have, you better have your thumb on that for generations. Otherwise there's going to be rebellions because people remember what you did to their grandma when you took over, like that kind of thing. If you're going to do a bunch of killing, you're going to have to know this. Or you can send teachers, and you can send aid, and you can send help and trade. Money makes a lot of friends. Well, I guess the Federation doesn't have that, but even teaching. And you go generation by generation the long, hard way, and you say, here I am, a Vulcan. I am not only nothing to be feared, but I am useful and helpful and I am smart. And I'm kind of the Vulcan, by the way. <laughs> I really love that. As I look at these, the Romulans, the Romulans to me are almost as close to human as possible. I mean, they really, they've got passions, but they've got logic. They've got, they've got good people and they've got bad people. They've got people that have hope for peace and they don't know what to do about their leadership. And they've got, you know, people that, that are just trying to make a living. Um, restaurant owners, we got to see. Sure, some of that. I really felt like I saw a society that was more than just they're the they're the sneaky warriors or they're the 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 sword carrying warriors or they're the mm -hmm. the greedy aliens or whatever that you know that that it felt very fleshed out the kid with the little toys um you know that right. the rune things and his excitement and I was sad that the rebellion was so stupid but I was happy that they were there and I guess I don't know if you're going to rebel against your own society. You kind of have to be a little bit stupid and a whole lot hopeful. It's so. just the it, it's the like you said the grassroots of a of a changing culture. Right. Who knows what they're gonna what they're gonna turn it? Who knows? Maybe we'll see peace with the Romulans in Federation history or in Federation future. Uh, and I'm not. <laughs> you got a little smile on your face, like you think I'm foreshadowing something. We're not done with the Romulans. The Romulans show up a lot in Deep Space Nine. Do you think they'll turn into kind of a Klingon situation? Or maybe, do you think? You already know. Uh, there's a really interesting <laughs> thing there. Let me predict the future. Yeah. <laughs> there's a really interesting thing, because when the Klingons, I look at the Klingons, and they're, uh, they're fairly static. Everything I've seen is that they're corrupt, and they yell a lot and they stomp around a lot and they can be interesting, but like as a, as a good race or as a, I don't know, at some point something happened there for peace and that was a good thing. So, but there's always tensions and you even saw it here with Picard dealing with like that guy, that Klingon was such a jerk. He's like, I hope you don't mind sleeping without a pad. And Picard just is like, absolutely not. I've been looking forward to this, <laughs> which was a fun moment. Another great character. Stuck surfing on a story that wasn't necessarily the greatest story in the world, but 
boy, was he great. That actor, you you know that actor, and you'd be very surprised. His name is Stephen Root. Didn't recognize him. The iconic one. I mean, yeah, look him up. Uh, and I'll let you decide which iconic role he did. For me, it was news radio. Um, he's the um, the owner. And uh, oh, oh, this guy's from Office Space. <laughs> most people recognize him from Office Space. Yes. Yeah. Just the sad sack that with the with the stapler with the red stapler. Yeah, he's fin- Yeah, he's in everything. Yeah, yeah. That was our Klingon. That guy. Got in the makeup and and looked Data in the eye and said and said some Romulan will lick that paint right off your ears. <laughs> that was funny. He was in Con Man, which I'm sure like nobody's well somebody out here has heard of this because this is Alan Tudyk's little baby that he put on and it was hysterical. Yeah, and, about conventioneers, about conventioneers going to science fiction conventions. Uh, yeah, and, and one guy has made it. Big and the other guy has it, and it's Alan Tudyk, Nathan Fillion, and, and uh, Nathan Fillion. Yeah, pretty much, but uh, yeah, apparently Stephen Root was in it too. I miss. How do I miss this? Uh, because now I have to go back and watch all of them. Because when I was watching this, and I watched the credits because I was looking for things like Denise Crosby mm-hmm. and and Leonard Nimoy, and I saw Stephen Root's name came, and I knew the name, mm-hmm. and I thought, who the heck? Who is he? And I even thought, is he the Ferengi? He's not the Ferengi. And it was in watching it that I said, oh my goodness, it's the Klingon. Yeah. <laughs> it's the Klingon commander. Good and stuff. he's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's great. He, the, what did you think of the, what did you think of this Ferengi? I had not much thoughts. Like I said, I think it, I thought it played out like Riker would have been better to offer a bribe than to intimidate. But no, of course, he's going to intimidate, and then they're going to get what they want and fly off. Like It just seemed very, meh. Like, not much to do there, a little bit. I actually enjoyed it because Riker, who we have already called out for being a jerk sometimes, got to be a jerk on purpose. Oh, it was very and intentional, it, sure. And it was fun. It was so, <laughs> when he says, use your sleeve, and he goes, what? Use one of their sleeves. I don't care. It was just a great moment. You know, actually, the moment that I liked, and I don't know if this is going to surprise people, but it when Troy finally stands in front, like, of course, Riker's using Troy, which, meh. Uh, but the, the junkyard guy what was his name the guy who's in control of the junker mr dakachen say that again mr dakachen oh that's right because they say his name he says his name wrong wrong over and over and over yeah. again. like don't insult this guy he he has the thing you need stop being a jerk and once he gets away from Riker, the guy stops being quite so red tapey and bureaucratic uh and once he does it's actually cute and fun so you're, t- you're totally right there's a lot of really great moments well they, they troy says it at the beginning of the scene and then they play it out that way he is the the king of his particular little castle right. here you know he's he's in charge you better of, play to that ego yeah who yeah. does he think he is he's the guy that has information you need treat him that way yeah. you know i don't think Riker knows how to do that but he could take a couple lessons from picard <laughs> or Troy, in this case, she did a great job of charming Very him. much. He could take a couple lessons from the empath. Oh, it just keeps playing out, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, I enjoyed him. I, lots of guest stars, lots of different aliens, tons of aliens. You know, uh, the guy at the shipyard. And you mean like in the everywhere. bar? Everywhere, in the bar, the, the um, piano player with the four hands. That was, again, that was fun. Yeah, I mean... Uh, 
I don't know if you could pick up on how they did that effect, but I think they had somebody behind her sticking very long arms out. Sneaky. Very sneaky. Yeah. Yeah, this was this was before CGI was. I don't mind know. that so much. This is kind of the thing. Like, I think I'll per- forever prefer Yoda as a puppet than the CG. It works. Practical effects are awesome. Pract- good practical effects, a- a- and we start to transition. They're starting to. They've been using some CG mm-hmm. now in 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 this run, but they're still using models. They're still using lots of practical effects. Deep Space Nine, which we'll see mm-hmm. next, has had a huge model that they built for it of the of the space station, and it's one of the last big models that they actually used. And it's kind of a shame because. Models are cool. It, it works. I, I mean, especially for sci-fi, especially if you're going for a little bit of campiness, it's fine. I, I, I'm 100% down. Yeah. And especially if the actor, there was something really interesting that happens, um, Stargate in particular, between uh, the captain and one of the aliens. And you know it's a puppet, but he's the actor is sitting there with a puppet and playing it like he's not sitting there with a puppet, like he's sitting there with an alien and it works. And I don't know if you have to have a certain kind of skill or uh, to have it work when you're on a green screen. Cause I've heard like Iron Man was just reacting to dots essentially. Cause he's not reacting with anything. Yeah. And, and you don't, you don't always necessarily know what the vision is that that the filmmakers have for that. Right. So as an actor, you have to create what that thing is, and it has to match the story that they're trying to tell. Because what will happen on the screen, that movie magic is, you're still reacting to the thing coming at you, and it still looks like the story that you, the consumer, you, the, the viewer, wants to see. I think it would be harder to react to nothing being there. So at least with a puppet or a sit or like some things, is that just being human? I don't know. Kermit the Frog is as real as it gets to me, you know, and, <laughs> and Yoda's a puppet. I know Yoda's a right? puppet. I, Yoda's best when Yoda's a puppet. Yes. That's what I mean. When Yoda goes CG, Yoda doesn't work for me. But when Yoda's a puppet, Yoda's real. And when I see Luke sitting there talking to him, mm-hmm. I believe every moment of it it's odd that i have so much love and respect for books then because i can't see a thing in books and it's so real sometimes some authors make it so real that's good writing and then you make a movie and it's not the same like when they did ender's game that wasn't they did a great job i understand exactly why they did what they did and yet that wasn't what i saw when i read the book and the book is so real to me Anyway, so that's a really interesting thing of like, if it's there or it's not there, you're making it up anyway. Well, you as the audience member are, are part of part of your responsibility is to fill in the blanks, and everybody's going to fill in the blanks a little different. When I say a pretty woman walks over the hill, everybody sees something a little bit different in their mind. Right, right. When I show you a pretty woman walking over the hill, everybody sees the same thing and has their reaction as to whether or not that woman is pretty or not. Right. So it's just harder in a different way. It's a question of being detailed enough to let your imagination fill in the right blanks, but making sure that all your details line up so that your imagination can fill them in. And I think that's part of what happened with this episode was 
there were so many blanks that they didn't fill in. Why did Spock choose to leave? Why do the Romulans Mm -hmm. send this? Why did they follow the plan they followed? Do you want to talk about Sarek at all? Oh, of all of the genuinely true moments, that one was, I think, number one. Second only to when Spock actually, the very, very end. So we go from the very beginning to the very end. Uh, when he's mind or when he's seeing what the part of his dad that Picard is carrying, that was a great moment, but it was a little bit overshadowed by who hasn't had those feelings, you know, of it's so universal and it's, it's it's scary and it's a little too real the way he's separated from his son and feeling, feeling emotion finally, (sighs) because he can't help it anymore because that's what, that's what Vulcan, Alzheimer's disease does is it just brings those emotions out and you can't stop them anymore. You can't control them, which is like almost, you know, I mean, it's so, it's so Alzheimer's. It's that ultimate indignity of you can't even control. You can't control. It's yeah. And finally the regret and the guilt and the, the need to make amends with Spock and, and it's too late. It's not that moment where Spock is sitting there and all is forgiven and all is well. And then he passes and he grieves. It's not that. It's so. It's too late. He's, he's, he's gone. He's far away. And yeah, and it's too late. Uh, it's just God, heartbreaking. Yeah. And very real. And when Spock finally does at the very end, take a moment to indulge his human side and, uh, and Picard offering the dad of his that's left in his brain. It's. What a gr- it was a great way to end it. For all of the, eh, I don't know about this, for the rest of that, that was, that was totally, totally nice. The only other thing that I, wanted to, that I wanted to mention was just as clunky as all of it was, and as, uh, especially the, the end scene with, with the virtual Spock and all that stuff, it all was just fantastic when Data nerve-pinched Sila. <laughs> Yeah, has he done that before? Nope. Okay, nope. so he learned that and from Spock. And will never do it again. Really? And will never do it again. That was a moment that was just for you, Jessica. Wow. And me, uh, yeah. For all the years that uh, Kirk was trying to nerve pinch people. Wow. So talking Trek. Yeah, let's talk some Trek. We got exponentially far ahead of what they thought we would with science and uh, like virtual reality right now is getting close to like we we technically could have a holodeck. We in fact, I'm I just met a guy who is working on a thing where you'll go to like almost like go into a laser tag place where you go in, you find yourself in the environment and like like laser tag is going to turn into virtual reality centers where you'll get to go and maybe even command the Starship Enterprise or hunt ghosts or uh, get involved in a mystery. I just want to walk into a room where there's like been a, a mystery to solve and just look at clues. I'll bet they all have that kind of stuff. You don't need virtual reality to do that. They have those, you know. But you can change it simply by changing the program and have it in one location. And every time you go, it could be a different one. What I will say that it's missing from Star Trek is, and I think they do this on purpose, the media that's there is not real. Nobody's being, there's no entertainment, which doesn't make 
any sense at all because, well, okay, they have the holodeck, but it's always like in this moment, then we are going to have entertainment instead of it kind of permeating. You had to have thought about this in the, at least, well, no, 95 wasn't, internet didn't even start. So we, yeah, being connected to someone with email was still a business thing. Right. It was something that, I mean, who the heck, thought about having like personal email. And then when that started to become widespread and even things like Skype, which you and I used to record this, started showing up and we could connect. It was very specifically, I have to go there for it. It's not being handed to me. It's not being streamed. Well, not only that, but it's not everywhere. Star Trek doesn't have media Mm -hmm. anywhere. You have to specifically ask for it. You have to say, computer, search out this thing. Whereas it's getting to be more and more. The computers are just reading our minds. And they're all the time and they're everywhere. There isn't even any music in the turbo lifts. I am okay with that. I thought that would be funnier than (laughs) I I thought that would be funnier than. No, I had to think about that for a second. You are correct. They don't even walk around with their tricorders, like looking at them and playing a game on them or anything. There's. Mm. It's pretty specific the way they use it, but it means that they still have a little bit more control over the stories because, like in this, if you you if you go too far, then you have to tell people the implications of this is how far we went with. An, an idea like email, then you have to say, okay, this is how you handle it. Okay, this is how it can be abused without any, without somebody having the concept of email yet, I guess. So yeah, it's still timing, but I have heard like authors will purposefully get their characters to have their phones shut down so that they can continue the story so that the character for it forces that character to go and talk to the person mm-hmm. because you can't have these two people who are constantly communicating through text because that's a crappy story. And I think Star Trek kind of does that a little bit. They, at this point they have to know the extent that they could push some of the technology Mm -hmm. and they refuse to, because you still need humans standing in front of other humans talking to each other. Otherwise we don't want to watch it. Nobody wants to watch somebody texting somebody else. No, that's just, you may as well read a book or read something. I mean, yeah. Right. So that, that was my thoughts on that. It's interesting. I'm thinking about I'm thinking about the future of Star Trek and how they deal with things like entertainment, how they deal with things like communication, mm-hmm. and looking for where they might make strides. And I'm not sure I can find any in my in my brain. But then I think about things like I think about science fiction shows like Black Mirror, right? That take on social media and, you know, in ways that... And push it all the way, right? They right. push it hard. Yes. So, but, but you know, I, that's the story that they're choosing to tell. Like, it, it would just be nice if there were a little of that flavor to make it feel a little more real to you, I think is what you're trying to say. Is that correct? I wanted to at least acknowledge that I had noticed it. Okay. But I, almost, like, I definitely don't want to watch Riker watching a TV show on the main viewer. That's yeah. You really don't. There is a moment. I'm th- you don't, you don't a want moment that. I'm so... thinking of where he actually like one moment where he's got these holographic or this holographic thing on his desk. And it's like two women playing like ancient Greek instruments or something like that. And it's like, what, what, what is like, like 
I can't even blame him because it was more about the writers just not knowing <laughs> what entertainment might look like and trying something. And it was so silly and clunky and it didn't work. And maybe that's why they didn't was they were like, well, we're not good at this entertainment stuff. So we'll stick to the holodeck thing because we know that works. Wow. You just said that people who offer a TV show in the 90s can't get their heads around entertainment of their own characters. So Spock doesn't show up on this TV show without there being a reason. So my guess is that he's pushing something else at the same time. What's going on with like TNG in actual, in like the nineties? Why is Spock doing this just as a oh, guest? Why, why did thing? Leonard Nimoy choose to be a part? Well, I mean, didn't you love seeing, first of all, you got to love seeing Spock. That was a big fat tease and I know it. Of course it was. Um, it, 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 this was one that I was always on the list, but when you, you know, with your fascination of who that character was, I knew we were going to be seeing him again. And even though the story's not the toppest of notches, mm-hmm. it's it's a ton of fan service and it's fun and it does further a lot of the Romulan storyline, which shows up again in deep space nine and stuff like that. But as far as why Leonard Nimoy showed up, this is the first time that you've ever seen this real crossover. I mean, no, that's not true. You saw McCoy in encounter oh, yeah, at Farpoint. The first in encounter at Farpoint. He shows up. Yeah. So it's it's creating that this is all part of the same universe. Spock is not the only one to have a guest appearance on Next Generation from the original series. Scotty makes an appearance on The Next Generation uh, as well. In an episode, let me just look that up here. It's called Relics. Okay. And it's the sixth season, the fourth episode of the sixth season. It's called Relics. Is this recommended just for fun fans? This is more fan service. It's total fan service. It's an okay story. It's a lot of fun. At one point, they recreate the original series bridge on the holodeck. And so there's Picard and Scotty having a drink on Kirk's bridge. Oh, which is really cheers. a fun moment. Yeah. So it's a lot, of, a lot of that kind of stuff. Sure. Uh, and and I, just to give you the, the 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 tease at the beginning, Scotty, back in his time, was on a ship that had an accident, and he, being Scotty, being the smart one, put himself mm-hmm. into the transporter on a loop. So he was constantly running through the transporter for decades, and eighty years later. Everybody else on the ship died, but he survived because of that. And then they transport him out of there and save him. Wow. And discover him. So he's... Does he remember those years? No, no. He has no recollection of the 80 years oh, in okay. between. So he he put himself on a floppy. Basically, he saved himself to disc and it worked. Interesting. Because that transport will just do anything. Shall we talk next week or shall we talk next two weeks? Oh, right. We've already been saying this is our last one and we're going to be starting Deep Space Nine, but we are going to give ourselves a little bit of a break and do kind of a fun little recap. Yep. We're going to, we're going to switch, switch channels a little bit here while we, while we change crews, uh, because we're done with the original, we're done with the next generation and now we move on to Deep Space Nine. But next week, Jessica and I are going to take a little bit of time, uh, just to, to, to breathe. <laughs> <laughs> 
right? So right. Uh, we've had a few conversations along the way, a couple of episodes that we've watched, um, which we have had a couple of little side conversations, and I've been collecting them up, and and we're going to put together uh, three or four of those and present that as a little bonus next week. These will all be, I, I think for the most part, these will be next generation um, conversations, and then maybe we'll throw in a little a quick wrap up. Uh, and then the week after that, we will begin a brand new series. Deep Space Nine. We already know. <laughs> Deep yes. Space Nine. Yes. We've, I know. I've been saying this for a long time and I'm really excited about it. So, uh, and that will be, we're going to start with the pilot. Uh, so the pilot's name is Emissary. Okay. Emissary. Not to be confused with the Star Trek Next Generation episode, the emissary. Okay. This is just called emissary. Is it two parts? It is a two-part episode. So it's episodes one and two. We're going to watch them together. Good. I like that. <laughs> Enjoy your week off because you come back with the two-parter. When are you going to be watching? When, when are you going to be tweeting that out? April eighth, <laughs> and that's going to be a usual seven p.m. So if you want to follow along, it's at Begin the Trek, and shows up on our Facebook too. Uh, at beginning the trek and then it also gets put in once the actual episodes are posted if you want to go back it's beginning the trek.com yeah that's where it goes <laughs> it doesn't go anywhere else <laughs> yeah so so and, and and you guys know the rules uh when we start a brand new series there's no prediction because jessica doesn't even know who any of these people are except she knows o'brien and o'brien and, and you've talked heard, about cisco and she's heard of cisco and you know that there's at least uh, a few Ferengi aboard as well. So right. we know we're dealing with that. Cool. But you don't know who Quark. these folks are. So no prediction. Quark. 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 Yes, Quark. So I'm, I'm already trying to learn the names because it takes me so long to get there. <laughs> and, well, and this is great because uh, we're going we're gonna to learn who all the folks are. Uh, they're going to arrive in, in chunks, kind of like we did with uh, The Next Generation. And um, seeing that familiar face, the O'Brien face, will help ground, I hope, a little bit. I don't know. We'll find out. We'll, we'll find, find out, out what you think of Emissary uh, in a couple of weeks. Uh, everybody enjoy their April Fool's. <laughs> enjoy your – yeah, we're, we're not kidding, folks. We really are taking a week <laughs> off. <laughs> oh, no, I didn't <laughs> – I didn't mean that. No, enjoy the April Fool's. Hope you all don't get pranked. Don't be mean to each other. We'll be we'll be back with DS9. Perfect. We'll see you in the we'll see you in the new series. I have had this thought, and I don't know if I've said this before, but it would be really fascinating if somebody came up on the Enterprise and uh, just instead of seeing what they because apparently we can control what other people see out in space, just sent up a bunch of emails and it was just like flashing pop-ups everywhere. So the the Enterprise is just covered in, like, spam, and that's all they can see. They can't even see stars because they're so covered in just pop-up banners <laughs> and horrible advertisements. Yeah.